What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Bingetown TV and our coverage of Disney Plus's Percy Jackson and the Olympians. Very quick shout before we get started here. If you're listening on our Percy Jackson and the Olympians, Olympians specific feed, just routing you towards the Bingetown TV main feed. That's just our home feed, you could say. Bingetown TV is much more than just Percy Jackson and the Olympians. We cover a whole plethora of shows. We just finished Reacher. We're covering Solo Leveling. Masters of the Air comes out on Apple TV soon. Uh, True Detective on HBO. So we got a lot of hands and a lot of cookie jars. So if you're liking our Percy Jackson coverage, I'm sure you'll like our coverage of some other shows. Okay. So this is episode seven. We find out the truth sort of and perfectly named we do find out the truth sort of here i thought this was a drastic hmm, drastic maybe tough an improvement on episode six and i'm curious to, to hear what you think yeah i think this was really fun i'm not gonna say we're back because yeah. that feeling's kind of been gone for a while but i definitely think i had fun watching this episode i'm, I'm happy that we're gearing up for that finale and it's going to be even better on a rewatch because you'll be able to click play right into the finale and the, the hypeness and like how it was building up towards the end. I thought that was going to be like all part of the finale, but the fact that they like kind of used it to, to gear us up for episode eight, I was already like just hyped to see Aries again, but the fact that he's got a sword ready, like and Percy rips out rip riptide, like the, the ending was really good for me. Hades. I could talk about for a while, but I'll save some of those thoughts. I love Hades just like the character in the Greek mythos. And I thought that this was like a unique spin on him because Hades is always portrayed as just pure evil, you know, like standard Hades, I would say for the majority of the time, like the Hercules from, uh, or Hades from Hercules, like the Disney yeah. stuff. Like anytime Hades is involved, he's always just the devil. But that wasn't the case here. And I was really looking forward to their portrayal and I was pretty happy with it. Even though, again, not a lot of screen time, but that's just the nature of the show. Yeah, I think this was a very successful penultimate episode. And yeah. like you said, it's the ending was really fantastic. It was borderline. I don't want to say epic, but like it's it's really setting the scene. The music was well done. The scene with Poseidon mm -hmm. saying like I'll be biased, like all that stuff was working really well together after like meeting Hades and everything. So I was like, okay, fuck yeah, I can't wait. To and watch this the is exactly what I envisioned in my head when I remember reading the books. And then they just completely cut all this for the movie, which made everybody yeah. piss. But I'm happy we're yeah. finally here a decade after. Yeah, yeah, Rick finally got his revenge. So <laughs> speaking of kind of the ending, Poseidon. Etc. We're just going to cover the flashbacks first. It's just easier for us to cover them kind of in one conversation. Mm -hmm. Heartbreaking. Just tough. Um, obviously, we know that Sally, Percy's mom, loves him and is trying her best to, to balance this, doing what's best for him, but also not really exposing him so much to the world she's trying to protect him from. So I can't even imagine how hard it was for her. Percy obviously struggled in his own right with it. It was just, just kind of intense. I gotta say, because I don't know Walker from other things. He was in that, uh, the Ryan Reynolds, Adam mm -hmm. something. I've seen it. I don't even remember what the movie was, but that was like the first time I ever saw him. This is really me getting to know the actor. And I just, this kid is him to me. Like yeah. they're just so similar looking. I need to like see them side by side to remember that it's not like a younger version of him. And it's probably just the hair like and him. just, he really, really does. So I, I like when we get to see him, but this was sad. Like, Percy doesn't know what he's doing. He's guilt tripping Sally and she's feeling awful about it. And we'll save that fourth, like final confrontation that I'm sure we're dying to talk about. I just had a question for you. Was this the scene that Hermes showed Percy 
when he touched him and was like saying, you know, lost and all about that. Like, because it seemed like he was in the car on the same side when he flashed over to Percy. But I don't even know how that connects to Hermes theming or message that he was trying to get across. I just I just think this was the this is what it was a flash to unless I remember it wrong. I think it it speaks to the theme of almost wanting to to be involved, wanting to do more, but knowing that you can't. Like, obviously, I don't think Sally wants to send him off to school and be away from him in the same way that Hermes doesn't really want to be so separated from Luke, I guess. But Percy didn't know any of that at the time. He's now like making Percy remember those memories, I think, you know, type of deal where he's trying to explain to him you obviously still love your mom and she did those things to you like i had to do almost the same thing with luke and he hates me i don't know necessarily why hermes is trying to i don't want to say prove himself to percy but it does seem almost kind of what he's doing which is interesting i guess we'll maybe we'll get more of that yeah i mean it was just something i connected when i saw it because it looked similar to the, the shot that hermes showed us but either way the more important piece is we finally get to see Poseidon also in the same episodes that we meet Hades. So we basically get two thirds of the big three of the Greek gods. And I am super happy. I didn't know the casting for anybody. And this might not even mean anything to you, but I love this actor. I know him for one thing and only me and Alki have ever seen it. It's it's the, the Lost in Space Netflix remake that has like three seasons completed project. It finished a couple years ago. It's like the Robinsons. Like it's like from the... I want to say like 70s, 80s, maybe even 90s. It was like a show back then that was like super popular, sci-fi, goofy. And then Netflix remade it in modern day. And it's like more about like the space drama and like actually dramatic and shit. And this is the dad of the family. And I couldn't put my finger on it, but he's a good, he's like a good actor. I really enjoy him. He can bring the seriousness whenever he's, whenever it's needed. But at the same time in the Lost in Space show, he's like a very like caring father, cares about his kids. So I think a lot of that's going to show in his interactions with Percy. So I'm excited to see it. And I mean, it's just a me moment where I'm like, hell yeah, I love that guy. No, looking at your face, I know you don't know him and you might know him. There's a couple of other things he's been in. Like he's been in a couple episodes of the walking dead, some, some random things, but he was in a show of like a a guilty pleasure show of mine is why I got excited to see him. Yeah. Did not recognize him, but I like Mm -hmm. his voice a lot. Yeah. He carries a lot of, of power in his voice, which you would assume Poseidon would just makes me even more interested potentially of who Zeus is going to be. I, I mm-hmm. don't know if that casting, I'm sure it was maybe announced and we probably missed it. Don't really mind a spoiler on it, but I'm, I'm curious to see who that is. Cause that is like, you know, that's a crazy role to get hard to follow Ned Stark too, because yeah, true. that's what that I'm voice. picturing in my head. <laughs> yeah. I want that voice to be, to be booming and banging. Let me bring up how this happens because I could have missed something here as well, but it seemed like Sally called Poseidon there. Like she lit the match, she put it in the thing and it, and the rain started right away. Did I miss why that works? Cause I thought this was going to go back to what we learned at camp half blood. When you burn something that you care about and you can actually like pray to the gods that didn't seem to like connect. All she did was light a match and turn it upside down and put it in a cup and it called him. Maybe it's something we'll learn later, or maybe I'm an idiot. Only thing I can think of is it's a like a, a two of them thing. Yeah. So something we would you know? have to see in a flashback later. Yeah. That works, that I guess. My guess. But yeah, what's going on on this scene too, or rather kind of at the same time is the climax of the episode. Mm-hmm. So the music is swelling and it's interesting because at some level, with some perspective, he's kind of a deadbeat dad 
but he's also, I think, very understanding of Sally's struggle, kind of comforting her. And and he kind of puts it all in her hands of, you know, like what Percy will do. She doesn't want to send him to camp. He's perfectly fine with her being honest that she doesn't want him to interact with his family, him being Poseidon, because she doesn't want that influence on him. He's better than that and, and all of that kind of stuff. And then we get the line where science essentially says, whenever he chooses his path, like I'll be right there beside him. And oh, beside him, Poseidon. And mm, heard that too. That just was like, yeah, that just fit perfectly with like right into the face off with him and Aries. And that was just like a really exciting hype way to end the episode. When I watch the finale, I'm going to go back and watch that scene and then click play on the finale just to build it up a little bit because like I was amped, like I was ready to go. The model Aries sword was sick. But so I want to say something that came up in this conversation is Sally asked Poseidon, like, do you want to see Percy? And I don't know if you caught this, but as soon as like it pans back to him to get his answer, you hear the thunder in the background. As And I took it as like Zeus is like, that's the rule. No, like we don't do this. And I mean, I don't know. I could be reading into it, but it's also kind of poetic if they did that on purpose, because that was the rule that was established because of Poseidon and Percy's relationship. No more of the big three gods having kids. You can't have these relationships. So that was like a subtle reminder and i hope that's what that was or what the showrunners were aiming for yeah that feels intentional that's too on the nose yeah 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 okay so we're going to transition away from the flashback and we're going to flash back to the start of the episode which is crusty's waterbed emporium just a quick scene we just interesting to note essentially that this percy's first time meeting a sibling his half brother crusty is what he wants to be called essentially guards this back door to the underworld. Not really a ton going on here. Besides, there's really no brotherly love. Annabeth kind of traps him and he's just trying to maybe warn them about going to the underworld. They don't really care. The three of them head down the steps into what is the underworld. I don't know if you have any comment on that. I mean, I looked it up just any wiki and there's actually almost nothing out there on him, meaning he is a very side character in the Greek mythos. He was in um, the I think he might have been mentioned in the Odyssey or something. He was he was in something big, but like he's also his like wiki page is so small. The only thing you could really get from it is like Poseidon is his dad. So I mean, I guess they did what they needed to do. There's like beds that are named after Krusty or Procrustus, whatever his name is. That there's just like a style of bed. I don't know. Not too important, but I wanted to just say that these type of moments, while they're so small, are the reason I love the source material of Percy Jackson, because this is the definition of a modern spin on like a Greek anything. And while it's not that important, he's just the guardian of a secret part of the underworld. It's just cool that they turn him into like a bed salesman. That's when I love Percy. And, you know, it kind of goes to like Medusa being in the garden. Like, I love those modernized versions of what would Greeks be like today so it's just nice to get reminded every once in a while because once you go to the underworld all those things go away because we're actually in the greek world but i like the the combination of the the modern world with the greeks but yes i'm ready to move to the underworld which i thought it looked sick the initial vibe i got was almost like just the wall in game of thrones but like black (laughs) it was like the it kind of gave me those vibes like instead of snow it was just like this dark ominous presence and it was just yeah i mean i don't know what i expected but it looked good yeah, yeah, I thought it looked good too. And I thought that they did a good job in the beginning of it where we're moving. So, and I'm going to, this is so tough. If it's, it's not Chiron, it's, it's with an A. Chiron. It's, yeah, it's with an A. And I'm almost like stuttering over how to, to swap out the I for the A. But you get what mm-hmm. we're talking about. And mm-hmm. I thought it was just funny. Again, they're in the underworld, but Percy Jackson is this, this series that 
injects humor in good ways. And then skipping the line was just funny. It just yeah. it, like it literally brought us from holy shit, the underworld, this is crazy, into like, okay, now we're kind of light moment into they have the funny interaction with him into, okay, now we're running away from Cerberus. So like this, I thought was kind of quintessential Percy Jackson of like switching back and forth between like the serious quest that we're on that's dangerous into Percy slash Walker being funny into, oh my God, there's danger, let's run away and, and teamwork mm-hmm. and type of stuff. So I thought all of this, like we enter the underworld up until we get over the wall to the other side stuff. It all worked for me. The Annabeth thing with the dog with the scratching was kind of whatever, but I feel like it, it fits her character. So I, maybe my, I guess a complaint is I just felt that Cerberus was too easy to deal with. And maybe this is what happens in the book. I don't really remember at all, but that's fair. I don't know. I felt a little weak the, how they, how easily they dealt with Cerberus. But for Caron, I actually brought that up. I don't know if you remember on the first podcast because. I always mix up Chiron and Chiron because I can never keep it straight up which one's which. He seems cool, but again, we didn't get a lot of time. Not that the boatman who takes souls across the river sticks is supposed to get a lot of screen time. They're supposed to be even mute in some iterations of the of Greeks, of Greek mythology. So all that was fine. It's just I thought, I don't know, Annabeth scratching Cerberus was enough to stop the guardian of the of the underworld. Like I, I don't know. And he he looked good. I mean, he did look like fluffy from Harry Potter, Sorcerer's Stone, like it looked exactly like what i wanted it to it just felt that a little a little ear scratch and then a ball is all you need to get rid of cerberus when they say like all these demigods they go down and then never come back like cerberus was supposed to be a huge part of that but i don't he doesn't seem threatening like grover got eaten by him and it was totally fine yeah i guess i can see both ways of one it's like the reputation that gets out there is different than the fact that it's literally he's a dog so he acts like True. a dog type of thing. And I, there's a gag aspect of the ball, the stress ball that she gives Grover before they get down there because he's almost hyperventilating into actually it playing a role in them escaping. So I was okay with it. I honestly had to rewatch it twice to be like, okay, I need to like know exactly what's happening here. Mm-hmm. Like her being on him when he jumps and then her grabbing the wall because I was like, I watched it and was like, what the fuck just happened? So I went back and rewatched it. But I thought that the next scenes were good enough that I just kind of stopped thinking about it. I felt the same. Like it wasn't something I really cared that much about. I was just, I thought I figured I'd bring it up because it would be dishonest for me not to say that that was the only, like a big complaint for me. But once they do get on top of the wall and I, I'm happy that they used Maya again, the the flying shoes. I don't know if that's the name of the shoes or just the password, but I'm gonna call them Maya for now uh, for this episode. And when they get up there and look over to the other side of the underworld, I love the upside down looking castle. It was giving me uh fillery magician. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> it was giving me vibes. vibes. And I was I was happy. It looked fucking sick. And yeah. just like looking out with it being above a desert is always epic too. It just kind of adds to the to the mythos of the place and makes it scarier. So all of that looked cool. And then they get ready to set off. But but we also have to talk about, I guess, just real quick, Grover lost the pearl inside of yeah. Cerberus too. Which well, I, I said lol kyle because that is ex- you were like trying not to be condescending to the writers but you're like this is just gonna happen and you were dead on yeah well it was more trying not to be condescending to people that were like shocked and like upset by it and all that kind of stuff because it was like it's not like they were just gonna have four pearls skip to hades palace and all four of them are gonna leave like there was obviously right. gonna be some trials and tribulations they were gonna mm-hmm. lose a pearl to get back to the original three so I don't know. It is what it is. It worked well. I thought the the service 
I guess you could say explanation or reasoning fit well for the underworld. Feels like it's and still kind of a an up in the air thing where there's a pearl inside of Severus. Will that come back? Who knows? But they've obviously left the underworld at this point. We move then from this three-headed dog challenge into what becomes a forest challenge. Just very quick, we learn a little bit of world building here that the souls in this forest are souls that are kind of trapped there by regret. Just leads us to a very interesting scene where Annabeth herself is stuck in the forest. And I like this two parts. Grover has two scenes right here that are just like pure logic, where at the start, he's like, it's literally math. Like we have three beads, pearls, there's four of us, like we need to figure this out. Mm-hmm. And then here he's like, well, it's got to be some type of regret, right? And Percy and Annabeth have very interesting eye contact, but they give her one of the pearls and she kind of gets out of it. But I'm curious of what you were thinking that this meant. Regret-wise? Yeah. I think it's going to connect back to Luke and Talia. There's going to be something there. Maybe there was a chance for Annabeth to be the one that stayed behind instead of Talia. Like that's what I'm thinking, but like, I don't think it's going to be anything to do with Athena because I don't think she's let on that there's been any conversations she had where she like spited her mother or something and now they have a bad relationship. I don't think anything like that. I think it has to be connected yeah. to her backstory with Luke and Talia. I almost asked that as a, a setup to bring up comments from the Discord. So Meryl, the legend, was asking about Annabeth's hat and if it's similar or not to Hades' helmet. And she also had this theory that Annabeth maybe stole the bolt and is working with Luke because they have that shared history. So like, that's why she's stuck. Cause she's like, sorry and regretful that she is like working with Luke and is eventually going to betray Percy and Grover. Just an interesting aspect. I like that they're having people think these different ways. We know mm-hmm. technically still not that they've brought it up in a while, but eventually Percy will be betrayed. Uh, on this quest, essentially, although they didn't necessarily confirm it's on the quest. So the vibe almost of the book felt really real in this episode. Yeah. Where like the I dangers of the quest, all of that kind of stuff w- was coming out well. So because I remember watching it and being like, why the hell is she stuck? Like what? It felt like for me, I was reading like tension, like <laughs> she's regretful that she hasn't told Percy. <laughs> oh she my loves God. Could you imagine? <laughs> we will obviously find out, but maybe that's me being too much on stand slash whatever, what do they want to call it? Twitter, ship Twitter. Yeah, I, I think it's definitely going to be with her backstory. But before we can move on like further into her Annabeth leaving, I just want to bring up what I did read real quick on Asphodel. It's one of the main three portions of the underworld. And the only thing that the wiki gave me that I'm that's worth bringing up, I guess, the three main parts, there's basically like a, you could think of it as like a heaven, a hell, and a purgatory kind of thing, where this is the spot that they're in now is where the majority of souls go because humans don't lose attachments. They kind of have this regret and most of them settle into this plane of existence in the underworld. Then there's the one for like the heroes that get rewarded in their afterlife. And then there's the one Tartarus, which is just where you get tortured for all of eternity. So this is like the majority of human souls end up in this path. I'm not saying they all get stuck and become trees. I don't really know how deep that lore goes, but this is like 90% of human population when they die, they end up somewhere in this part that they're walking through now. That's honestly really interesting. And I know a complaint of the series has been that it's very exposition heavy, Mm -hmm. that they kind of just outwardly explain things. But I think it would have been cool to have that type of information I'm someone that loves Greek mythology and that's not even like a common fact that I remembered at the forefront of my, you know, brain. Like I didn't even 
you know, it, like I doubt the majority of people know that. So that would it would have been a better thing to expand upon a little bit. But who knows? The underworld such a key setting in Greek worlds. So maybe we'll be back. We'll hear Hades' explanation. I don't know. Something there's there's room to grow for the underworld. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So the next step here is going to be Tartarus. So we have Percy and Grover are alone at this point. They're walking. The shoes, Maya, are basically dragging Grover down into Tartarus. Percy uses Riptide quick thinking and saves him. Again, bring this up just in the sense that Meryl was talking and said that just realizing that those shoes maybe weren't actually a gift, they were part of a bigger plan here because the shoes obviously were, were being drawn towards something. So it seems obviously they were meant for Percy. Mm-hmm. They were on Grover's feet. Not that that's a, a huge deal in the moment because they both are saved and everything, but just more things to think about. All these kind of threads are finding their way back into each other for our finale, which is kind of what you want out of a, a penultimate episode. I am so dumb for now realizing right away that that was Tartarus. I love Tartarus. Like the idea of it, it's such a cool lair to the underworld. And now in hindsight, when it's duh, like Cronus is maybe pulling it toward whatever the explanation actually is. It's just badass. I love the idea of Tartarus being right there under Hades palace, just always like, as like the, the number one place you put the worst of the worst. So it's, I'm for sure guaranteeing that this is going to come back into play, especially with all the Percy realizations in the throne room about Cronus. So I'll leave it at that. But I was so dumb for not realizing. Did you catch that right away? We were like, that's Tartarus. No. Oh, no. Okay, cool. Cool. I feel less like bad. Interesting. <laughs> Big hole in the underworld. Yeah. Yeah, that (laughs) should have been obvious, but but I was like, what the fuck is that? Well, speaking of should have been obvious and maybe more of a cognitive dissonance, not really wanting to admit it thing is we find out also in this scene that Percy has the master bolt. It's in the bag. Right. And they just have the back and forth of like, it's not, it couldn't be. Is it (laughs) like type of conversation? They quickly deduce, thankfully, that Ares actually gave Percy the bag. They know at this point that Ares had the bolt at one point to be able to give it to Percy. So they're kind of now realizing that Ares, they had Clarice obviously pegged as the lightning thief and thought maybe Ares was protecting her. But now Mm -hmm. they're realizing that Ares has more of an active role in whatever the fuck is going on type of deal here. So just an important thing to call out. Yeah, I don't want to comment too much on it because that's going to be a better conversation next episode. But this is something me and you talked about in the spoiler section two podcasts ago, like it was going to end up being an Aries thing. Just the idea of Edge again just makes me happy. I'm just like, fuck yeah, let's go. Let's see Edge. Yeah. The idea that Clarice, yeah, Clarice and Aries are kind of involved is is their main theory at this point, Grover and and Percy. Jeez, I almost forgot Percy's name. This is the knowledge now they're bringing to Hades and his, I guess we'll just say throne room. I'm not sure if his palace or castle has a name. I'm sure it does. I feel like they named everything, but he was um, interesting. Dude, I love it. I already said a lot of the reasonings at the top. I love when they trope break for Hades because Percy Jackson's version of Hades is so much different than the majority. And I just think it's funny. He was just saying, I seldom cahoot. Like he's just saying all these random things, but he does still look like if you were to show me what he looked like with no background and said, what God is this? I would have been like, Hades. you could tell because of the hair, like his style, the eyebrows, all that. So he is still the essence of Hades. But he's just not pure evil. And in in most of the Greek, like original Greek stuff, 
Hades isn't supposed to be evil. It's just all the modern takes and and modern stories that he is because you just associate him with like the devil, like Christian, you know, whatever you want to yeah. say. It's easy. He's an easy target, but he's not supposed to be this spiteful, hateful brother of Zeus and Poseidon that hates them for having been stuck down there. He's supposed to just be like a Greek god that does his duty and, you know, like, of course, he'll fuck with mortals and have wives and cheat and everything <laughs> like everybody, but... This is the Hades that I'm, I was really excited to see. I wish we got a little bit more, but it's funny that his initial ask was, yep, like, thanks, you're here. I saved your mom from the Minotaur. That's like most people die. So you're here. Let's make the trade. Give me. And then he says my helm of darkness, which was supposed to be like the big, what the fuck are you talking about? I initially was thinking that it was the, the cap that Annabeth had, but I don't remember any other mention of the helm of darkness. Maybe it was just all, maybe this is the reveal. Is that, is that is it what it's supposed to be? That's the way I took it. The Helm of Darkness and Annabeth's Cap are two separate things. Unless they're combining them, which I don't think they are. Mm Because it seemed very deliberate that Athena is giving Annabeth this hat as a gift. I don't know if she would set her up like that. Or maybe it's a test, actually, now that I'm saying that out loud. But (laughs) no, I, I don't believe that they're the same thing. Even looking it up, the Helm of Darkness, just to be able to talk on some differences, it seems the Helm of Darkness isn't just invisibility. It's a lot of slipping into shadows, going through walls, okay. like radiate fear and things oh, like that. So that's if, awesome. Yeah. If they're doing those aspects of it, then I don't think that Annabeth's hat qualifies. That was a question too that Meryl had of if it, it's the same thing. I, th- I think they'll clear that up in the next episode. I think they will too, because like, Percy accepts the side quest to go get it in exchange for his mom's life. And that's all fine. I guess it's better to think about it. I don't know how much they're going to lean into this idea, but if each of the gods like has a very important weapon or tool that's associated with them, like the master bolt for Zeus, like this yeah, could be Hades trident. version of like whatever. Yeah, exactly. Like the trident for Poseidon, this could be Hades version of his weapon. Cause I don't really think he's known for having anything like weapon wise, maybe like a two prong trident thing like that. I don't know. Either way, this is, it's, it's most likely different than Annabeth's cap, which it needs to be. It's more interesting this way, but I do like how Percy kind of swindled him into that deal. Cause I think in, at some level, gods are bound to these deals that they make with mortals and, and demigods. So I'm sure he'll honor it. If Percy gives him the item in exchange for his mom's life, who's did he say, was she just frozen in gold or something like that? Like, did he mention what that was? They finally did not comment. It's just that she's alive. Yeah. Okay. So she's just like frozen in place. Gotcha. Yeah. To speak more to on your, actually to combine those two thoughts of each God had stone weapon and Hades is supposed to be more of like a dutiful God. He kind of flips that switch from jolly ish kind of zany, sarcastic into like serious, like no kid, like I need the fucking bolt. Cause Percy is connecting these puzzle pieces. Now that the person in the voice in his dreams is Kronos Hades takes that very seriously, obviously. So if we're going to go to war, Zeus needs his bolt. Hades needs his helm of darkness. Poseidon doesn't get a mention, but obviously he's considered to be one of the big three there. So he'll need his trident type of deal. So I like that Hades, like you're saying too, has this, like it's immediate. They're showing us that he still has this sense of duty. Like Mm -hmm. Kronos is coming. We're going to war. Like, all right, let's fucking get popping. And another thought I have with him is that he reminded me of like an evil E-Toms. (laughs) because <laughs> of the his his verbiage choice yeah, like how just he like talks he, and- yeah just like everything he was just like oh like you know you want to yeah. like cup of tea like i don't know just everything about him just was like an evil b toms it was almost <laughs> too like like a less evil evil morty a less you know, evil like- <laughs> evil yeah 
It's yeah. just like very charismatic. I don't know. I just mm-hmm. I liked it. I enjoyed it a lot. I like love how you phrased that. How the the switch got turned when Hades realized that this is getting real. Like if we're talking about Titans, he doesn't care about like this petty bullshit anymore. He's like, all right, give me the ball. We gotta like we know he says that, and um, that's epic. Like I really hope it like plays out like that every time we see Hades that he does have that that more centered perspective of okay like. I don't care about the demigod bullshit. Like this is heaven and and earth like fighting. Like I like that all that stuff. The one thing he does mention that I don't know how I feel about though when he's talking about the families, his family like the other Greek gods and saying, "Yeah, like I don't go up there. I don't do jealous. Like I don't like all their family inner politics. I hate that stuff." Are you okay with that being the reasoning that he stays down in the underworld and it not being like his in most Greek mythology, he has no choice. Like he can't leave the underworld. That's his, like he was assigned that duty after Zeus, Poseidon and Hades took out the, the Titans and they had to decide one's going to be the ruler of the sea. One's going to be ruler of skies. One's going to be the ruler of the underworld. And we can never break that. A lot of times like Hades can only temporarily leave the underworld and he has to go back. It seems like he's choosing to stay there because he doesn't like the petty bullshit between the other gods. More similar to like Hephaestus, I guess the new age way. I don't, no, and maybe they'll talk more about it as hopefully we get into more seasons. I didn't clock it though at all when I watched. Okay, uh, maybe it's just a me thing then, because and I could be a misconception. I thought there was something greater than just his whims that kept him in the underworld, and maybe it's just a Percy Jackson thing too. I it could be either way, you know. So yeah, because I'm thinking too. There's something with Persephone as well, where she can only. Yeah, he tricked her into eating a fruit of the underworld, and when that happens, you can you have to eat that fruit like every certain amount of time. So she has to live in the underworld. That's the typical um, representation, but she wasn't even here. So I don't know pearls, what, right or no? I, again, that could just be a movie thing. I don't know because they never call him Persephone's there. pearls, and I, I don't know. Who knows? Yeah, but either way, so. This scene wraps up where Percy and Hades now have this agreement, essentially. Percy surprises Hades in the sense that he's pretty much not gives up his mom, but is willing to delay rescuing his mom. So him and Grover head back to the real world, which ends up being Santa Monica Beach. Annabeth is there as well. And the goat, the legend, our boy, Edge, a.k.a. Ares, arrives, sword on his shoulder slash back, two nice face shots. Of Percy and Ares and Fiend. So this just was Riptide a perfect comes out. Yeah, true. The, the sheathing of the of the sword was, was the unsheathing of the sword was very mm-hmm. good. And this just sets us up perfectly for the finale. I can't wait until I, we see their conversation directly, like in the beginning of episode eight, because I know that Percy should be on site with Ares now. But why is Ares on site with them? Does he already know that they know and escape the underworld? That's that's just the weird. They'll need to flesh that out. Like while he why he's ready to just whip a sword out and just attack them. It's obvious from the good guy's side of why we're trying to fight here. But either way, just the on site aspect of it. They don't have to spend any words. They just look at each other like we're about to fucking fight. And Percy, this is probably going to be the best fight of the se- of the season. And it's funny because we haven't seen uh, too much choreography for from Walker, except honestly against like the Minotaur and a little bit in um, against the Chimera. But besides that, he hasn't been using the sword. So I'm excited to see how Walker handles actual like 
blade to blade combat with a non monster. So that's going to be really fun to see. But yeah, this, this is, I say like, I'm hyped, man. This is going to be fucking awesome. The finale is going to have to carry a lot of weight. Of course, like we're going to have to deal with Zeus. We're going to have to get some revelations, maybe even set up season two, deal with Ares. There's a lot that's going to happen in this finale that, and I think the runtime already came out. It's another like 45 minutes. So it's a little bit longer, but all in all, I'm I'm happy right now and I'm ready to freaking watch it. Okay, so that wraps up episode seven. We fi- almost find out the truth or we find out the truth almost. One of those. It's almost is at the end. So there you go. Episode seven. Sort of. It's we find out sort the of. truth sort of. Okay. So neither of those. <laughs> we will be back for the finale. We'll get the episode title right when it comes out. Episode eight. Yeah, I'd be crazy that we're done. I know after this, but been an up and down ride. We're, we're, we're on an up right here. We're on the upswing. So hopefully, like we've said a couple of times, the finale gets us where we want to be and, and ends this season on a high note. If you want to engage in a conversation, YouTube comments are an option. If you're more of a, of a podcast listener then the discord, we mentioned it a couple of times here. We chat in the discord almost as often as, as we can. We're also trying to get better at it. So it's easier to get better at it when there's more people involved. So if you want to have conversations with us, if you want to talk theories, if you want to just give your opinion, all that kind of stuff, we'd be happy to have you in the Discord. And yeah, I, I listed off a bunch of the other shows we're covering at the top of this, so you've heard it already. I won't repeat it, but I will repeat that we are Bingetown TV, and thank you for listening. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.